Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, the passage is going to be the Great Commission. I'll read it for us in just a few moments. It's on page 835 of the Blue Bibles, or you can find it in your bulletins as well. This is now the uh, third sermon in this little series that I've called Sabbatical Reflections, trying to allow you a window into what I was processing during the time of the sabbatical. The first one was called Shabbat Shalom, and it was the idea, the, the joy that we have entered into rest and that we should continue to strive to enter into the rest that we both have now in Jesus and that awaits for us as well. The second sermon was a stay against confusion. Uh, I was reminded that we should have sung last week the hymn that we sang as the second uh, song, uh, song today because it said in that, he then is all my hope and stay. That's why we sang uh, on Christ the Solid Rock this morning. But a stay against confusion, and that was about the blessing of having a good, solid, confessed faith together as a people and a day given to us by the Lord that allows our souls to rest. And so, if you will, you can think of it this way, having established a good, refreshing rest, uh, having firm stay lines on the mast of a sailboat, today's sermon is going to be more uh, directive, what then do we do? It's titled, The Mission of the Church. Now, that's not a very catchy title. It's not very clever. It's not even original. In 2011, uh, Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung wrote what is a really helpful little book called The Mission, or What is the Mission of uh, the Church? And they wrote it because perhaps, surprisingly, or perhaps this isn't surprising to us, it's actually a little bit hard for the church to remember what its purpose is. What are we doing here? Why are we gathered together? Why has God assembled us? But when you, when you reflect on it, perhaps it's not so surprising in this sense. Think of all of the letters that are written in the New Testament addressing churches that, in one way or another, have gone astray, have veered off of a path some way, and so one of the authors is writing to them saying, listen, you guys have gone off and you need to recalibrate, you need to recenter yourself into the purposes of God for his church. For example, think of uh, the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Those are efforts by the Lord to say, listen, church, you can go astray. You can, you can veer off course. You need to recenter and recalibrate yourself according to the purpose for which God has created his church. So we need these recalibrations, and today the text that we're going to use for that is a great one. It is the Great Commission. So let me read it for us. Hear the word of God as our risen Savior gives these directions to his church, beginning at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, we thank you for the direction 
that you have given to us. And we thank you for the promises that you've drenched the direction in so that we can find our hope, our sustenance in you. Guide us today. Recalibrate us even today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I, uh, as I preached in the first sermon after the sabbatical, I, I said that the primary goal that I had for this sabbatical was to rest. Uh, and of the various types of rest that I mentioned there, mental rest was one of the goals that I had. You're generating a lot of things as a pastor, and every once in a while it's good to be able to step back and to consider and to let your mind rest and then to begin to fill your mind up uh, again as well. Uh, you know, however, the reality is, of course, you can only rest so much. <laughs> you, can only, you can only do so much of that before you want to start doing something or at least start thinking about something. And graciously and helpfully, the Lord, in the midst of this sabbatical, also provided a focus for this sabbatical by giving me an opportunity to teach at Westminster Seminary. Now, he's not here today, but providentially, uh, Rob Edwards, who preached for us a couple of times uh, while I was on the sabbatical, Rob Edwards, pastor and professor at Westminster, was going on an academic leave at the same time as my sabbatical, and so we made a deal. Um, the deal was I would teach some of a course that he had, and he would preach a couple of times here in the church, and that's what we did. Uh, and the course that he allowed me to have a part of teaching is a theology of evangelism and missions. And it proved a great opportunity for me to do some focused reading, uh, some study, and to do some teaching on a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And in addition to that, on a topic that is a theme that the session, and I think many of you, are uh, seeking to see more of in our church, namely, how do we be more outward-facing as a church? How do we reach out into our community? So this ended up being a great blessing to me. I hope it was to the students. I won't point out one who is here with us today. You can ask him whether it was a blessing for the students or not. I'm not sure there is a clearer text in Scripture than this one here in Matthew 28 to set before us the purpose of the church to reorient our understanding of the purpose of the church. And in just a moment, I'm going to take a look at this passage that is before us and articulate for us a threefold mission of the church from this text. But before we do that, before we look at this text, I have to do a little bit of prep work for us, lest we misunderstand today. Think of the things that I'm going to talk about right now as kind of presuppositions or prerequisites for understanding and owning the mission of the church. Two prerequisites for us then, two presuppositions that we have to understand. Here's the first. The church is a thing. The church is a thing. Profound insight there for you. The church isn't everything. The church isn't nothing. The church isn't whatever we want it to be. The church is something. You can identify the church. The word doesn't mean any group of Christians who happen to be gathered for any particular purpose. In Scripture, the church has a structure. 
The church has a mission that is given to it. It has a purpose. It has people who are a part of the church or people who are not a part of the church, people who are inside the church and people who are outside the church, people who are members of the church, organically body part members of the church, and people who are not members of the church. It's an identifiable thing. You can address the church. You can address the leadership of the church. You can write to a church. The best analogy that I can use to describe this or to illustrate what I'm talking about is one that is found in Scripture as well. And I think it's helpful to us even in its simplicity and perhaps because of its simplicity. The analogy is to marriage. Marriage is a thing. It's a thing that has an identifiable people to it, an identifiable structure to it. Purposes for marriage are given. And so, when you go to a wedding ceremony, the pastor will say, this, this ordinance has been instituted by God. This isn't something that mankind thought up, but it was instituted by God in the state of man's innocency. And it has as its purpose the enrichment of the lives of those who enter into it, the propagation of the race, the extension of the church unto the glory of God and unto the enjoyment of those who are entering into the marriage, unto our happiness. Standing next to someone, and forgive the simplicity again of this, standing next to someone doesn't make you married to that person. Living with someone doesn't make you married to that person. The church is the bride of Christ. And we cannot dismiss the church any more than Christians could dismiss marriage. And, and the irony of this and the reason that this needs to be stated is the fact that many Christians seem to, in our day, in fact, try to dismiss the church when they would never dismiss marriage. They would never say that's not a thing. Scripture doesn't address it. It's just, it's just a, a, an institution that's created and it can be whatever you'd like it to be. They would never do that. Why? Because you can point it out. And the same thing is true of the church as well. In our day, there are, frankly, many people who see the church as an optional extra. We are people who enjoy our individual freedoms, and we want to transfer that individual freedom into this idea of the church and then redefine church by removing anything that makes it identifiable as something, by removing the borders of it and thus creating this kind of jellyfish view of the church, that it's, it's like Play-Doh. You can craft it and make it and shape it into whatever you want, and if you don't like what you made, you squish it all back up together and you remake it into another shape with which you are more comfortable. And I say that for reasons that we need to understand that the church is a thing, but because some might look at this text of the Great Commission that I've just read for us and say, hey, pastor, by the way, you're talking about the mission of the church. There's no mention of the church in this text. This is just kind of something that's floated out there as an idea to people who believe in Jesus, but as it relates to the church, nothing here about the church, which would be 
to miss the fact that these are the very men, the 11 disciples plus the one who would be added in Acts and then Paul himself, these would be the very men, the ones who are addressed here, who would be used by the Lord Jesus Christ to build his church. They are called the foundation of the church with Christ himself being the cornerstone of the church. We are the apostolic church, right? That's what we just confessed in the Nicene Creed. And to be or being the apostolic church means at a minimum that we are built on the foundation that is laid by these men who received this commission from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're built upon that. Now, it means more than that as well. It means that their mission becomes ours as well, but we are the apostolic church. So that's the first presupposition. The church is a thing. It's a real thing. The second presupposition is this. The mission of this thing that is called the church is actually not everything. The mission of the church is not everything. We live in a big, beautiful, wonderful, sinful, sad world. And within this world, there are countless opportunities for us to do, and I'm going to use a very broad category here for a moment, for us to do things that are good, good things in this world, things that are creatively good, craftsmanship and arts and music and building and developing ideas and thoughts, creatively good. We can do redemptive good in this world. It's a sad world. It's a fallen world. And so we can do all of the redemptive things, the things that show mercy, that show kindness to those who are in need. We can do all sorts of redemptive good in this world. We can do the common good in this world, the common good of going to work every day, of raising our families, of taking care of our home. There's no end to the things that we can do in this world and that are suitable for us to say, this is one of the things that's part of the mission of who I am as a person to do this. God, and this is another sermon, not this one, but God can be glorified in us and through us as we do any of that work that is given to us, right? You know the verses uh, for it. You know, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. So as long as the thing in and of itself isn't sinful, there are a world of things that we can say, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to devote my time to, my purposes toward. This, however, does not imply that the church itself is called to do all of those things. All of the things that you could possibly do in the world is not the definition of the mission of the church. So there's all sorts of things, right, that we do in our work. There's all sorts of things that we do as members of a nation or as members of a community or as a family, a nuclear family, a, a husband and wife and kids. There are all sorts of things that we do in those various spheres, those various arenas that are not, therefore, the mission of the church as well. The scriptures preserve a differentiation, okay, a differentiation. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I'm going to use the language of Corinthians here for a moment. A differentiation between what we are called to do as we come together, okay, as we come together as the church, 
and particularly as we come together as the church in worship, there are certain things that we do in that setting, but it provides the differentiation within the church of things that you might do as the church when you're gathered together, and even as the church is separated from one another, not in worship in other words, but also the things that you do in your lives that actually aren't under the sphere of the church, that are good things, part of the mission that you have, and yet they're not necessarily under the responsibility and the oversight of the church. The scripture then respects a differentiation of what the mission of marriage is and what the mission of the church is. Now, let's be clear. Through the word of God, one of the missions of the church, one of the purposes of the church is to instruct and to say to us into those various spheres, husbands, love your wives. So the church will instruct, husbands, love your wives. Parents, honor your, I mean, excuse me, children, honor your parents. Obey your parents. It'll say to you, in your work, whatever your work is, do your work unto the glory of God. So the church instructs into that sphere without necessarily owning or being responsible for all of the things that you have in that particular arena. In other words, there's a respect of a differentiation in what a thing is and what its mission is. Here's the reason that that's important. The reason that that's important is that today, if you go on various church websites and you look at what a church is doing, you'll see that the church, and now I'm talking about the evangelical church, and even in some senses the reformed church as well, is beginning to collect unto itself all sorts of purposes, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of things that could be done in this world. In, in other words, it's kind of taking this approach. It's taking the approach to say, well, if this is God's world, and God is the one who rules this world, then we as the church are the ones who ought to see that God's rule is extended in this world and it bleeds into all sorts of areas. Most particularly, it's seen in it bleeding into overcoming all of the ills that exist in a particular society. So, so it's this idea that the church is encroaching into missions that belong to other arenas. And what I'm trying to say here is in order to understand the mission of the church, you have to understand it's not everything. The church isn't supposed to do everything. There's a lot to be done, but we don't have to do it all as the church, qua church, okay? Make sense? Good stuff to do. We don't do it all as the church. So with those two presuppositions then, we can ask the question, what's the mission of the church? For what purpose, to what end does Jesus say, I will build my church? We will acknowledge two grand purposes. You can put it either way, however you'd like to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. We'll acknowledge that those are the broad purposes of God and say, within that, then, what belongs to the church? That's, that's the big picture. What's our piece of this as a gathered church, the bride of Christ, the beloved, the apple of his eye, his body. And that's what we find in the Great Commission. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, has now, something has happened with his resurrection, he has now received. To receive is to receive something you didn't have. Prior to his resurrection, Jesus didn't have this. Now he has received it. What has he received? He's received 
all authority in heaven and on earth. It has all been given to him. Now, as the eternal son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, the son always has all authority, right? But he's received it now as the God-man. The God-man, the incarnate God-man, has now received this. He had to do all that he came to do. He had to come into this world. He had to become incarnate. He had to love his father perfectly, obey his father perfectly, suffer on behalf of his people, die for his people, be buried for his people, be resurrected from the grave. And now he says, the father has bestowed upon me, the God-man, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. The mission rests right there. It rests on that authority. He has been raised the Son of God in power. That's what uh, Romans 1, how Romans 1 describes it. And so now the Son of God in power comes to his disciples, to his apostles, his beloved nascent church to give the mission. Mission part one then. The mission, the first part of this mission, the ultimate part of this mission is seen not so much as in a, in a command here as in their response. When they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. It isn't stated here as a purpose, but it is shown to be the end. The body of Christ has as its first mission the worship of God as a gathered people, as a gathered people within this world and throughout this world, the church is an outpost of worship. That's what we are. We're the place where God is worshipped, and wherever we gather in his name, we gather around the world for the purpose of worship. We're no longer confined to one nation as we were before, but we are a community of people covenanted together, covenanted to God, gathered to worship God. God is seeking such people. That's what he said to the woman at the well, right? That's what Jesus said to the woman at the well. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's what the Father is seeking, true worshipers. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to speak of the second purpose of being sent into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to understand even that second part of this mission, I want us to say that it only makes sense within this first part. It, the second part only makes sense if you understand that worship is the first part. Now, I hate to tread familiar ground here, but I have to give you a quote that I have given to you a number of times and that others have as well because I've never heard it stated any better nor more clearly than John Piper stated this. John Piper opens his book on missions with these words, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. Our purpose, number one, is to be a worshiping community of God.
When they saw him, they worshipped him. One little comment after that, but some doubted. That's a fascinating comment. We have to we'll put a, poll, a bookmark on that one and at some point come back to it, but some doubted. All right, this leads to the second part of the mission. The second part of the mission, Jesus speaks to them, wrapping them up in his authority, in verse 18, and in his presence, at the end of verse 20, and he says to them, go therefore, go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What do we want to call this part of the mission? We can call it the sending, right? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We can call it the commissioning. This is the commissioning part of the Great Commission. We can call it evangelism, taking the good news and telling it. We can call it missions, which is to say, go with it. Go with it and take it to all of the nations. Perhaps we can call this part of the mission the gathering. The gathering. Jesus wants us to gather with him, to gather unto him. Jesus said, if you don't gather with me, you scatter. He wants us to gather with him. And his disciples are not only commissioned to do so, they are not only to be the gatherers, they are the gathered. In one sense, they are the very picture of this mission fulfilled because when Jesus came, and if we looked at all of the book of Matthew, which we'll do, I'm actually going to be preaching through Matthew uh, when we get there, when we get to the new year, we would see him calling these disciples and saying to them, follow me. And as he calls them and as he says to them, follow me, he is gathering them up together. And right here is a picture of it as well. They gathered unto him. They came to him at this spot. They are the gathered gatherers. They are recipients of the gift of salvation in Jesus, and they become distributors of this very gift as well. That's our mission. That is the mission of the church whether we are the church in Jerusalem or the church in Ukraine or the church in Conshohocken, it is the mission that we have as the church collectively. Jesus, the sent one, sends us into the world. And he says, tell them. Tell them about the good news. Now, can we admit that oftentimes that feels really intimidating to us? It feels really scary that you're telling me to tell someone else about Jesus himself. It's daunting. It is risky. That's why I had us read that passage from Daniel earlier in the service, to see the courage, the courage of the witness that is demonstrated there. We could be delivered. But if we're not, we're still not bowing down, and God is still God. The world isn't easy. We may end up in the equivalence of a fiery furnace or a lion's den facing odds that seem impossible, but that is why, verse 18, all authority, and verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, are so critical. It is through us that the Lord Jesus Christ extends his call to the nations. 
evangelism, or missions, or gathering, it's not an important activity. It's not an important activity that the church should sometimes remember. It is part of the very essence of who we are. It is in our DNA to do that. It's in our very constitution to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. The third part of the mission, then, is found for us in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is implied or at least included as well in the idea of making disciples. The calling of the church is not merely to make converts, but to make disciples, helping people to grow, to mature in their faith unto love for the Lord, love for one another, serving, caring one another, caring for and loving the people who are around us as well. We can call this purpose that, God, that Jesus is giving to his church the purpose of equipping. The purpose of equipping or discipling. Or an older term might be useful, the term of perfecting. Here's how it's stated by Paul in Colossians. Paul writes this, Him we proclaim, Jesus namely, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the mission that he has, to present everyone mature in Christ through the teaching. And then the classic text that we have in Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, equipped for every good work. There's every good work in the world to be done. This is the place where you get equipped to do every good work that is out there to do. These three then, worship, gathering, and equipping. These three in a living, dynamic interaction are always the purpose. They are always the mission of the church. And I say living and dynamic and interacting with one another, that is exactly what is happening right now. We are worshiping God. You are being taught from the word of God what is the mission of the church. And if you are here not as a believer today, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and join. Hear the call to come and join Christ and his salvation that is offered to you, his saving grace that is offered to you. It's a living, dynamic interaction of those three things that is the church. It is our mission. It's not everything. Everything is not the mission, but this is. Now, there are all sorts of wonderful, fascinating questions that arise out of that. For example, what's the strategy? How? Okay. How do we do that? What's the place for any local congregation in providing mercy, providing some level of witness to the gospel within the setting in which it finds itself? How do we do that? How do we go about this educating, this teaching process? What's our role? What's Christ the King's role in that compared to some other church and some other place in that? What's your role? What are the gifts that have been given to you and trusted to you by the Lord for that particular mission that belongs to the church? That's figuring that out. That's part of the fun of the church. That's the risk and adventure of the church. 
But I think when you start with those three purposes given by the Lord, it is clarifying, it is liberating, and I hope it is empowering for us as well. This sermon on the Great Commission has not been preached in order to make you feel guilty. Okay? That is not the purpose of this sermon. Many of you are doing these exact things in beautiful and extraordinary ways. The last time when I preached on the discipline of evangelization, I got these great stories coming from you afterwards about opportunities that you've had. This sermon is not to make you feel guilty. It is to recalibrate us, though, and say these are the purposes for which God has created the church. It was great to be with seminary students on the cusp of their own ministry, trying to be equipped and they're full of zeal that was invigorating for me. But Westminster's not the church. This is the church. This is the bride. This is, this is the body of Christ gathered together. We're the ones who have this mission. Westminster has a different mission, a very narrow slice of this pie. We're the ones who have this mission that we've just described in these three ways. May God, our God, fill us with zeal, with creativity, with courage and joy as we engage in this mission together as his beloved church. Lord, help us. Help us to serve you, to love you, to know what you would have for us as a church. Help us to have courage, to be willing to risk for the sake of your name, for the glory of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. Let's respond. 444.